We are back, and you're listening to the Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. Pentagon leaked suspect Jack Teixeira charged in federal court. The 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman accused of leaking documents the Department of Defense says contain sensitive and highly classified material has been charged today with unauthorized retention and transmission of national defense information and willful retention of classified documents. What are we to make of this? And honestly, folks, does this story make sense? For insight, let's turn to our next guests. It's Friday, so that means it's panel time. We're joined by the host of the podcast, The Left is Dead, James Carey. As always, James, welcome back. Always good to be here. We're also joined by a man with a background in leading communications departments, being a communications professor and being a TV news correspondent for numerous networks domestically and internationally, Dr. Colin Campbell. As always, Colin, welcome back. Great to be back. So, James, I want to start with you, and and I'm I'm going to ask this question this way because I don't want to influence your answer. Does this story make sense to you? And you can interpret that any way you want to. Yeah, it does in a way, and and just you know those you remember those ads are being at seven o'clock where are your children, in that kind of way. <laughs> um, I think it's very odd to see. Well, we're seeing Gen Z in a strange place where they have authority over classified documents for some reason. We're seeing failures by adults um, because why does the you know Massachusetts Air National Guard have classified documents about Ukraine? And I think we're seeing people who are socialized completely online interact with their normal life like they're still online. So I think what we're seeing is a new way of leaking, essentially, because young people are taking positions of power and there is no system to actually... You know, there's obviously no bureaucracy that's competent in this country, so I don't know what's going to stop them. I imagine we'll see more. The fact that it was leaked to, like, impress 17-year-olds, I got nothing. <laughs> well, and let me let me just quickly follow up with you, James, on, on this point. The nature of these documents seem to me, and I think Garland would agree, would appear as though they came from the Department of Defense, as in Secretary the, the Secretary of Defense's staff, uh, the Joint Chiefs staff, they came from somewhere way up the chain. So for this, for Jack Teixeira to be able to go that far up the chain and come down with this trove of documents, that's a big part of this that makes no sense to me. Yeah, to be able to walk out of a strip mall with maps of Ukraine <laughs> folded in your pocket. It, it doesn't make any sense unless... I just think it is incompetence because look who ended up breaking it open, right? Who who was the one who told? It was Bellingcat and New York Times. If there's a Walmart in the strip mall, well, then maybe. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. But it was Bellingcat and the New York Times who ended up tattling in the national security complex, you know? Right. I think you're seeing that media has become so decentralized. There's no way for anybody to actually know who's doing what because we know our military is a big, you know, make work program. And this dude was doing his make work hours and... How again? How these documents end up at this strip mall in Massachusetts or wherever you know on a base in Mass- a reserve base in Massachusetts is ridiculous. So I, I'm not quite sure. I, I would imagine part of it's privatization of all data, you know, storage, uh, privatization of actual infrastructure and logistics in the military is probably a problem. You know, when you have a bunch of private contractors not communicating with each other, I guess children get a hold of maps of Ukraine somehow. 
Dr. Colin Campbell, to that point, I didn't, and, and, and James saying about storage of documents, and they're worried about TikTok. Colin Campbell, you, and, and all of this about TikTok, and you got Jack Teixeira leaking <laughs> details about a war. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to laugh about TikTok a little bit, but we have to remember, I'm not going to spend too much time on that because I know that's not the context of what you're talking about. We have to remember, though, that TikTok in China, different than TikTok here in the U.S., and they, there is some evidence or some at least scholars are saying there is an effect, a TikTok effect, and it's erosion in just how we're thinking, how we're cohesive as a country, our learning, and how it's a bit disruptive especially when you compare it to how it's used in China. But I will say what ties this all in is just how we're using technology and how we are seemingly ill-prepared to deal with the future implications of the way that we access technology, the amount of information that's out there, the decentralization of information, and the amount of access that many people have varying ages who are born into the digital age and how they use them. And it seems that this to share a guy was kind of using it for bragging rights. Back in the day, we would talk about maybe the you know woman we kissed, right, or woman we went out with. But today, it's like, hey, I've got classified documents talking about the conflict between Russia and Ukraine or spying and intelligence in Israel or whatever it is that he was able to collect um, in his very uh, high position. So it's, it's a bit different. And seemingly, this is what the context of what it is, at least so far, that's what we know. This was mixed in with other uh, expressions or interests of guns and, and from, uh, no surprise, uh, race and, and dealing with issues of seeming uh, white nationalism or um, delusions of white supremacy and, and racial um, racially insensitive materials aimed towards uh, people of color, as they say, even though I don't like that term, or particularly black Americans. So again, this is someone who looked like he was trying to show off someone who was trying to uh, compare, uh, you know, just who was the, the coolest dude in the room type of situation as he was gaming and and um, engaging in, in um, what is it, Tour of Duty, I believe it's called, these popular games that... that oh, Call of Duty, people, I think. Uh, what is it, Call of Duty? I think it's Call of Duty. Isn't it Call of Duty? Aren't it? Call of Duty, maybe? Yes, yeah. yes. These games that millennials and Gen Zers play uh, because that is now the, the social scene, right? It's no longer a kickball in the backyard or or baseball or, or playing cops and robbers down the street. Now it's all about gaming. And so, the, you know, of course, there's a, a sense of bravado there, too. I mean, we do remember that there's a young guy. Um, they, they say our brains, especially men, our brains aren't fully formed until our mid-20s. So he's not even there yet. I'm not giving him an excuse, but I can say that, you know, maybe this is part of the, the maturation process of just trying to, uh, you know, identify yourself or position yourself within a cadre of friends to see who, what the hierarchy is. And that, that's not uncommon for young men to do. But you know what, Colin, just one quick point. I understand exactly what you're saying, and it makes perfect sense. But for all of the years of baseball I played, and I played a lot of baseball and was very, very good at it, you never found me standing in Candlestick Park. <laughs> anyway, go All right. Go Lula goes to China. The Brazilian president is joined by a major delegation this week as more than 20 agreements are expected to be signed with the Amazon country's largest trading partner. Here's the thing. We'll start with you, uh, Jim. 
everybody's going to China because that's where the money is, number one. Number two, one of the things that it's come out in the last 24 hours, Lula said that all of the um, global South countries should ditch the dollar and trade in their own currency. The U.S., uh, and we're even starting to see this in U.S. papers, that the U.S. has no one to blame but themselves because they've sanctioned everybody, and now everybody's saying, you know what, we're all sanctioned. Uh, ain't no point using the dollar. You sanction 40% of the world. 40% of the world's going to stop using the dollar, and the dollar ain't going to be worth a dollar. Yes, that is exactly what I was thinking reading through this story. It's just we keep putting L's up on the board, right? Uh, Brazil, we replace Lula and Delma by, on you know, false charges with some of our friends, center-right friends. They're not really supported. Gone. Bolsonaro, we don't like him. Gone. Lula's back. But Latin Americans have a historical memory. You know, we try to uh, do these things like we try to control the ASEAN nations with, you know, human with human rights sanctions and things like that. But they're now China's largest trading partner. BRICS is becoming their largest trading partner. More countries are joining the SEO. Even Emmanuel Macron is going over to China uh, after, you know, the deal to lock him out of the submarine deal with Australia and lock him out of the new defense agreement between the U.S., U.K., and Australia. Everywhere we've tried to do something, these are all, I'm, some of them are actions that are over 10, 20 years old now, but all these actions that we've made in the past are really coming home to bite us. And in a new way, it seems like, because we've never failed this badly, maybe because the Soviet Union was gone last time, you know, there was nowhere to go by the time we failed, but there is another place to go right now. And um, one thing I disagreed with in the consortium news piece was that I don't think Lula and the Workers' Party are going to let Brazilians be exploited by Chinese capital. like they. The U.S. exploited Brazil under, say, Bolsonaro or something. I think that the U.S. will resent, you know, they'll resent Lula being back. They do resent AMLO. I mean, you remember in the papers when he was running for election, he was compared to Trump in Mexico and things like that. So uh, I think you're just seeing, you know, as we say all the time, I think uh, the chickens are coming home to roost here, aren't they? Uh, you have the pink tide survivors are really leading the way in Latin America. Uh, Europe doesn't trust us to be stable enough anymore to do anything from four-year period to four-year period. And Asia, I mean, you know, we try to tell them what to do all the time, and they're not going to listen forever. So I think you're just seeing this sort of end-of-history policy where, oh, well, we're dominating, and you can't think like that because the American cars got so bad, and that's how the American empire is getting so bad. Colin, your thoughts on this? Yeah, they were back in 1997. There were there were those prognosticators say that we would rue the day, we would rue the day that we ditched the gold standard, and those days may be coming upon us. We are expected to hear about what these BRIC nations, of course, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, what they would like to do as far as close to, I believe, August of this year. So just in a few months when they have a summit in South Africa, what they plan to do, how they plan to, in a sense, demote the importance of the American dollar and try to come up with a new currency or a new way of, of, uh, of trade with possibly something that is gold-backed, right? And I think this is now we're starting to see what the deleterious effects were when Nixon made that decision in the early 70s. Uh, we have heard rumblings about this for quite some time, 
And of course, uh, the White House has not been very vocal about this. They seem to have shied away from the issue and not taking it head on. We hear that we, well, we can see and observe that they're not really a big part of these conversations. So it's, these nations are just saying, hey, the U.S. is, no, you know, they tried to be a major player. They have been dominant for so long, but we're not going to be the puppets on a string anymore when it comes to our economies, when it comes to our trade, when it comes to globalization and it's time for the to kick the u.s to the curb it seems like and yes uh, we don't have anyone to blame but ourselves we haven't really made any strong efforts to really get back to a gold standard we seem to have just kind of uh, been dominant and enjoyed this dominance for quite some time not thinking that it would be disrupted but it looks like those days are shortly numbered it's interesting to me how in this consortium news piece so you've got Lula in China, and Brazil sold $31.78 billion in soybeans to China and dozens of billions of dollars in iron and oil. China, in turn, exports to Brazil products with greater technological complexity, such as solar panels and phone equipment. Lula is there talking business, not monkey business, hardcore business, and no shots are being fired, no missiles being launched, no threats being levied. They are engaged in business through diplomacy. And so what does that say to you, James Carey, about the dynamic is shifting as the United States, basically Joe Biden standing in the parking lot next to Tony Blinken saying, what in the world are they talking about and what's going on? Because we're not involved in the conversations. I think, you know, a competing system crept up on them without noticing. They thought they were going to integrate China into global capital peacefully with the, you know, WTO decision. Um, I think they just thought it would go smoothly. Everything, again, the end of history effect, right? But in the process, what have we done? We've taken this domination and we've missed the whole economic system growing over there while we've destroyed infrastructure in other countries. We've replaced leaders undemocratically. You know, we've murdered people all over the Middle East and all over the planet. Um, and then we re- let all those things happen here, too, as we try to make a sort of new economy on like the metaverse during the pandemic. You know, we don't even have a frontier to go to anymore, whereas China is actually going around the world and building infrastructure and make, you know, making these deals where they're trading hard resources. And while we have not much to offer and we withhold most technology, you know, even under Bolsonaro, when the Brazilians asked for the vaccine, sorry, buddy. You know, so as we've been destroying all these systems that people rely on. Obviously, they're electing leaders like Lula who are building them back up and who've always been people who built them up. And we're, we just were not prepared for a planned economy to come from the other side because we assumed, you know, people had been on this free market stuff for so long. They thought it was real. They thought this was the actual success, you know, and they thought 1991 was the end. And I, that's not true. You, you can't keep Asia as a sweatshop forever. And people are going to want to, you know, better their lives. They're going to want to free themselves from the U.S. empire, and it looks like they're doing so, and nobody was prepared to stop it. And, Colin, what are we going to do, man? Because it looks like peace is breaking out between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Colin, it looks like peace might break out in Yemen. Man, what are we going to do? 
Right. <laughs> that looks very <laughs> pernicious because it it looks it makes the United States more, look more like the repugnant global repugnant power, right? The ugly and American. Keep that in mind. Uh, say that again. The ugly American. Yes, that's right. The ugly, over aggressive, uh, narcissistic, selfish. <laughs> there are a lot of adjectives militaristic around the world that are ascribed to Americans. Xenophobic. I said militaristic and xenophobic. Yes, yes, definitely. You know that are that are ascribed. These adjectives are ascribed to America. And yes, even uh, Biden said the other day uh, that he that any peace in the Middle East he would welcome. But we have to think that behind closed doors he's nervous. When you see these adversaries that are now starting to get along, and you start to see these possible coalitions. Uh, start to form, and these agreements start to work out. When you look at the U.S. and their their military imperialism around the world, the, their economic imperialism and controls around the world, it really starts to make the U.S. seem like the country that's in the way. And that is the force that needs to be reckoned with. And when you're starting to see these BRIC nations come together, question the American dollar, one can only assume that the power and might that the U.S. has been known for for decades is waning. How will the U.S. respond to that? But if you have these other nations that are forming together to, to put up a wall or to put up resistance that are coming together in unity against the U.S., it seems that it puts the U.S. in a very precarious position. Speaking of what are we going to do, Mises, Mises Wire uh, uh, reports following the violent attacks on Americans in the Mexican border city of Matamoros in early March, South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham stated he was prepared to get tough and introduce legislation to set the stage for U.S. military intervention in Mexico because we cannot have a country violating its neighbors' independence and sovereignty. The move would be, a, I added that, uh, the move would be a significant escalation in the long-running war on drugs. Because that's worked out so well here in America there. James, we might as well expand it to Mexico. They need a bomb in here. They need to be bombed into some democracy. What do you think? But every lie seems to be falling apart all at once, doesn't it? <laughs> the Saudis didn't need to be plied with weapons for all those years to be somebody's friend. Uh, the interest rate going up 2% like halved our genius population in the U.S. You know, <laughs> suddenly there's not a bunch of whiz kids running around. And, yeah. You know, you can't solve our demand for drugs up here. So what is it? You're going to try and drone strike civilians in another country from organizations that probably have better infrastructure and logistics systems than we do. Honestly, if you want to compare the cartels to our government and it just, everything is falling apart. They're not even bothering to try and make lies sound realistic anymore. They're not even bothering to make promises sound realistic anymore because they're not going to happen. Everybody knows they're not going to happen. You know, I mean, you can yell about it, but, the border, say it's open, say it's closed, depending on who's president. It doesn't change much because there is no infrastructure to do anything about it. The train's derailing all over the place. There's no infrastructure to do anything about it. Every lie, you know, Mayor Pete comes out and says, I can't fix this. Every lie is unraveling. Everything promised is unraveling. Everything that's supposed to be a stopgap is, you know, it's failed. Whether it's the military, you know, national infrastructure or just competent bureaucrats they've gone and i think that this is an extension of that they're just trying to find a desperate way to again harken back to this time where we were on top the reagan type of war on drugs thing i mean they can keep trying to do it but americans are going to keep wanting it so 
I, the, the idea that you can bomb another country and just say, no, don't worry about it. That's nobody, everyone, Lindsey Graham knows that isn't true. He's been talking to people who do wars for him for 20 years. You know, he goes to visit them in weird countries all the time. So they know it's not possible. They're just not even trying anymore. It seems like, and everything's falling apart. Here's the thing, Colin, you start bombing Mexico and then, hmm, refugees start flooding across the border from the bombing. It's madness. This is pure madness. Here's Lindsey Graham again with his med- Anyway, Colin, your thoughts. Well, wait a minute. Before you, before Colin, you respond, Garland, you, you had brought up something when we were off mic and you talked about the war on drugs. Afghanistan's Taliban have begun a campaign to eradicate poppy cultivation amid to aiming to wipe out the country's massive production of opium and heroin. So there is a war on drugs, <laughs> and of all people that are doing it, and from recent reports winning it, the Taliban is reducing the amount of heroin on the international market. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. Go ahead, Colin. It would seem so far, and when we look back at history and how the U.S. has treated the war on drugs, at least domestically as well, one of their biggest successes was the incarceration of black men in their prisons, right? When we have the record in the number of incarcerations in this country, and then we look at the demographics of how that percentage is disproportionately black men and definitely black and Latino men. Uh, And then you start to think of, okay, well then how will this look if it starts to export this quote unquote war on drugs in a country outside of the border, right over our border? Especially when you have the president of Mexico saying that fentanyl is America's problem and that it's not really produced in Mexico. There also seems to be a breakdown in communication when it comes to joint raids between U.S. uh, agents and and Mexican agents and trying to quell any type of drugs coming across the border. When you have this breakdown of communication, when you have failures and objectives, or maybe that was the objective when it came to the U.S. war on drugs, um, you know, in the 80s to incarcerate more people. But when you look at the results and just how these things were carried out, it is very dubious that Oberdor will agree to this kind of expansion of the military, the U.S. military industrial complex into Mexico as the U.S. just wants to blow things up. I mean, this is some type of usual neocon type of resolution that rarely works, especially at a time when more people have said that it would seem to make more sense for a type of diplomacy to really be enacted rather than a type of warlike bellicose type of action. Uh, Again, we don't hear many conversations between Biden and Obrador. We don't hear many conversations coming from our delegations that we send over to Mexico and what their responses are in the cooperation between the U.S. and Mexico. And therein lies the problem. We always talk about the importance of communication, and it seems like there is very little communication or at least a meeting of the minds when it comes to dealing with the drug issue between the U.S. and Mexico. And James, to to Colin's point, you, you don't get dialogue with the United States. You get diatribe from the United States. And it's also interesting to me how the discussion about drugs flowing into the United States from Mexico, for example, but you don't have much discussion about cutting drug use in the United States. 
So if the United States rehabilitation, rehabilitation, dealing with this as a, a health issue, and I'll add to that the immigration discussion. There's all this discussion about cutting down on the number of immigrants that are coming into the country from Mexico and Central America, but there's no discussion about how the United States devastated the economies of these countries, forcing these people to come to the United States because they have no better options in the countries in which they were born. Yeah, it's absurd to hear about like Nicaragua and things like that. Like, why are they coming? You know, but um, yeah, the U.S. has kind of done a one one and done solution on mental health, drug addiction, immigration, poverty, jail, you know, jail or prison. These are our solutions. And obviously, you know, you can't live in a carceral state like this. Oh, no, 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 James, James. No, James, I got to stop you. I got to stop you because the United States solution to a lot of the issues you're talking about is cutting benefits. There is a solution, but they're talking about cutting access to health care. They're talking about cutting access to Social Security. They're talking about, so go ahead. Well, that's to prove how broken it is, see? <laughs> go <laughs> ahead. Play long yeah, but yeah, there's nothing to offer because, I, there again, there's nothing to offer. There is no frontier. There is nothing left to exploit, and we're being kicked out of the markets that we tried so hard to build with all this, you know, all this military intervention, all these intelligence operations. All of these things are falling apart. Everything we depended on is being, you know, as you said, you play by our rules or you don't play. And it started with, say, Saddam in the 90s. You know, we're going to sanction you for 10 years. You don't want to play by the rules. You're not going to be in the global market. And if you don't want to play by the rules of American society in America, you're going to be put in one place, the same place we put everyone who doesn't quite fit the rules. Um, that, and within a country where everything, you know, every problem looks like a nail, you know, the hammer country, everything, every problem looks like a nail, right? And this is all, all that's going on. And I just, You'll see the you see the rot. You see that there is nothing left, and anything that is beneficial, like I said, they destroy it, and then they'll point at it and be like, "Look at how broken this social safety net is." Um, that's why I have my money on the cartels if we go to war in Mexico, honestly. But they do yeah, know how to I fight. Think, yeah, they're gonna. Yeah, the Taliban got us. The Iraqis got us. They'll get us. But yeah, I think you're seeing just. This sort of failure, obviously the engineered failure, like the trains derailing. Like I said, this is engineered failure by allowing corporate interests to just tell the government what to do, what policy to make. And whether it's, you know, the carceral state, the military contractors who want to just keep pumping, you know, javelin missiles into Ukraine. Everything relies, they're just trying to keep this propped up. This is a circle, you know, this is all trying to be propped up. They're trying to sell, you know, they were trying to sell real estate in the metaverse. This is what we have left. And there's not much gas to keep this thing going any longer, and you're seeing that. You know, Colin, the other thing is, it's every solution is violence. Well, what are we going to do about this? We got to bomb somebody. We got to attack somebody. And then you wonder why, you know, we have mass shootings. We have so much violence. Our government says we got a problem on on Mexico. Do we want to talk to the Mexicans? Do we want to find a figure, an intellectual way? No, let's just start bombing people. That's why I talked about diplomacy the importance of diplomacy and communication. And and that cannot be made any more, uh, given any more salience, the need to really have a dialogue between leaders and to come up with other solutions other than violence. So we know that this country was founded on violence. And so we also seem to be 
uh, loath to admit that that is part of our ethos. When you look at just how we solve problems within this country, there, you know, nothing has been changed without violence. When we look at the civil rights movement, some people think, you know, they hear the word civil, they see peaceful marching, but we can't forget people mm-hmm. were killed during the civil rights movement, right? Everything that happens in this country is equated with violence, and we have to look at our leadership to find out why, well, not find out why it is, but to try to change that culture. And communication, diplomacy, all of that is a part of changing that culture. And that's something that needs to happen in the U.S. Dr. Colin Campbell, James Carey, gentlemen, thank you both so much. Greatly appreciate it. Have wonderful weekends. We look forward to having you back. Thank you. Look forward to returning. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Folks, you're listening to the Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon. I'm joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's more on the other side. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 